0: Oh God, you are the God of um, glory and holiness. And in the light of your holiness, we are aware of our own failing, our own sin. Uh, We confess our sin before you. And we spend just a minute now in silence doing that. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gift of the gospel. We thank you that because of Jesus, we have complete forgiveness of sin, no condemnation. We thank you for your word to us and we pray that now by your Holy Spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see more of who you are and what you've done for us. Help us to be equipped for every good work through your wonderful word today and we pray that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans 8 verses 14 to 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Good morning, and it's great to have you with us, whether you're joining us through Trinity Church Mount Barker or Allgate or Victor Harbour. This morning is significant for me. It's the last sermon that I'll preach as locum or acting pastor within the Trinity Network. It's been a wonderful time spending time this year with uh, the folk at Trinity Mount Barker and last year uh, at Victor Harbor. I'm very thankful. And uh, one of the great things that I'm looking forward to about my new role as regional director of CMS is the ability to visit different churches. So I do hope to be able to pay you a visit in the not too distant future. Well, let's get into this short passage, powerful as it is, and uh, let's ask God if he would speak to us through his word. Our Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us. You haven't left us on our own to work things out. We pray this morning that you would please speak to us, encourage us, challenge us and train us in wisdom. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I recently heard a sermon by an American preacher by the name of Russell D. Moore, and he told this personal story. I'm quoting directly from him. But are they brothers? The lady's question just seemed to hang in the air in the dingy cigarette smoke-filled airport in Moscow, as Marie and I were waiting to board the plane to return back to New York. I couldn't really concentrate on what she was saying, because there were so many other sounds in my mind after such an exhausting week in Russia. The sound of our hearts pounding as we walked down the hallway in a horrifying Russian orphanage to walk into a dimly lit room to see two emaciated Russian orphans who would now be our children. The sound of a translator speaking the words of a judge that Maxim Rostorovsky was now Benjamin Jacob Moore and Sergei Yorobankov was now Timothy Russell Moore. The sound of these two children crying as we had to leave the orphanage again to go back to America and wait for the word that the process had been finalized and we could come and get them. All of these things were going through our minds at that time that this American lady asked us But the question is, are they brothers? These two boys, are they brothers? And my reaction with no little irritation was, well, they are now. And her response was, well, yes, but I mean, are they really brothers? And I said, yes, now they are really brothers. And she said, well, you know what I mean? And yes, I did. She meant, do they share the same DNA? Do they share the same genetic material? Do they share the same blood type? All those things that, after all, really matter. Are they really brothers? Today, we come to the sublime topic of our adoption by God as his children. Perhaps the most extraordinary element of what it is to be a Christian, that we call God Father. Not just Almighty God, Not just, "O merciful one or mysterious unknown creator, but dad, heavenly father. We worship him as eternal Lord, but the eternal Lord we worship draws us to run into his presence and to sit on his lap as children, to laugh with him, to cry with him, to eat and drink with him, and to grow up under his infinitely wise counsel. This is not some idea concocted by the early Christians to create a facade of unity. Although these days, the idea of brotherhood just seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? Um, appropriated by all sorts of communities as a marker of solidarity. You can call just about anyone bro. But no, Jesus himself, the eternal son of, of god he's the one who invites us to call god father along with him it's the son with all the privileges of being a son who teaches us the outsiders to pray our father in heaven he tells his disciples i will not leave you as orphans john 14. our sonship is not a metaphor that is it's not a symbol of our closeness it's the reality of our closeness god actually is your father because adoption is real and we are actually each other's brothers and sisters are they really brothers they are now that is to say this is not a birthright Just as Sergei and Maxime were not born with the right to join the Moore family, they were included as an act of grace, as an act of kindness. With adoption by God, Paul puts it this way in our passage. This is verse 14. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Our passage verses 14 to 17, it fits into an unfolding explanation of the grounds of our assurance as Christians in verses one to four that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We saw that no condemnation was the starting point for our assurance that those who are in Christ are counted by God to be innocent because he took the problem of our guilt on his shoulders. And then last week. From verses five to 13, we saw that those who believe in Jesus become possessed by God's spirit, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, who puts them in a new realm of living. And we now live to please God, not to please our own flesh. And we do this by the power of God's spirit who lives in us, those of us who believe and his spirit is real. And so the next building block of our assurance is our adoption. That if you have the spirit in you because you've believed, then you are now the children of God. So being a child of God is not a right that every person possesses. The idea of God being our father is not universal not in the sense we're talking about today, at least. There are references in the Bible to all humanity being the offspring of God because we are created by him. But that's a slightly different concept here. Unlike being a Russian orphan without options or choices, God actually does give all people the opportunity to believe in Christ, to repent of sin, to receive the Spirit. And therefore also to receive adoption for the next few minutes. Then I want to look at what the remaining three verses here in our passage, what they point to in terms of the joys of our adoption. And there are three in this passage, three simple but powerful joys that we receive in being adopted by God. So the first joy of adoption is freedom have a look at verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. A couple of verses back, Paul talked about our obligations of being Christians Our assurance is not some kind of unconditional guarantee that everybody just glides through with no consequences if they persist in a life of sin, a life of the flesh. What God does is send us his Spirit who trains us and shapes us in pleasing him with our lives and the way we live. Our obligation is to live according to the Spirit, desiring what the Spirit desires for us. Of course, yearning to please God And to be rid of sin in our lives itself is part of our assurance, that yearning. We have a persistent reminder inside us that the spirit is there as we are prodded and poked about the way we're living our lives. And we feel it. Sometimes it feels like guilt. Other times it feels like an aspiration for better living. Well, that's God at work breaking through our apathy. And it's part of our reassurance that our struggle against sin, it's not a solo struggle. But Paul knows what you're thinking. If you're talking about obligations, then surely this is a kind of enslavement. I reckon many of us struggle with that word obligation when it comes to Christian things. It's almost as bad as the word compulsory. Uh, Sure, ask me to download the COVID-safe app, but don't force me to do it. We don't want governments to overreach in their authority, and perhaps we have the same approach to God. Of course, we know that in other areas of life we have obligations to the state, for example. We must pay taxes. We must obey the road rules, and we must obey the criminal code. And and I think we all think it's acceptable that criminals who, who break the criminal code, go to prison, those who rebel against their obligations. I think what Paul is doing here, I think he's just giving us a little shake. And he's saying, guys, having the spirit of God and having obligations to live according to the spirit, that doesn't make you a slave. He's made you a son, a daughter. You're not a slave. That was your past. Being adopted into the family of God is as far as you can get from slavery. What you come out of when you become a Christian is subjection to laws that you can't keep, consequences that you can't bear, and no hope of ever being free of that. Slavery is what you've come out of. What you've come into is sonship. Now, just a quick comment about gender specific words here. The translation we're using, which is the 2011 New International Version, I think does a pretty good job of using gender specific words, terms, where they're meant to be and non gender specific terms where they're meant to be. Notice that in each of the three verses, the other three verses of this passage, it refers to the children of God. This is the only one of the four verses that refers to sonship. Two quick points about this. First, the word used here for sonship that uh, is in the original Greek was a term that specifically referred to adopted male heirs and all that they would receive in in Roman culture. And so we're, we're making a historical cultural connection with that status when we use that word sonship here. But secondly, as we'll see in a minute, We are given the same status as the son of God. So perhaps it's strange, but one of the benefits to the daughters of God is that they receive sonship. It doesn't mean they become male in any way. It means they become connected to the son of God. But most of the time, you know, we'll just say I'm a child of God or a daughter of God. So there's the first joy of adoption, freedom. It's not Returning to slavery, it's freedom. The second joy of adoption is closeness. At the end of verse 15, Paul says, And by him, that is by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, I don't know what sort of father you have had. Chances are he wasn't perfect. I know I'm not. It's such a mixed bag, isn't it? Uh, You know, our kids might think that their dads are 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But the reality is often quite different, isn't it? And the reality is that they, they need us to be many of the things that our culture has told men not to be. Like gentle, approachable, vulnerable, present, not just in body, but in mind. Family oriented, respectful and kind towards women, strong in convictions, courageous and engaged under pressure, not disengaged, fiercely protective of the honour and dignity of our children, and absolutely trustworthy. The list could go on, but you get the point. We haven't always had the best examples of fatherhood. Although we're very thankful for the good examples that we do know, I certainly am speaking personally. There are many fine fathers, especially in the Christian community, although we're not exempt from some of the problems. A second joy of adoption is closeness to God, a relationship in which we find out who he truly is, how he ticks, What is his attitude towards women and towards family? How dependable is he? Will he protect my honor and dignity? How strong is his love? Does he make himself vulnerable? Is he approachable and gentle? The relationship we have with God is different from other relationships because we don't see him with our own eyes. We don't hold him in a hug. We don't sit down for a cup of coffee with him. And yet, in some ways, those things are merely the interfaces for our relationships. They're not the essence of relationships. What we do have with God is a deep knowledge of each other between God and us. It's, it's really deep. We know him through the scriptures, through all of his actions in history and through all that it says about him. And especially we know him through what he did at the cross uh, through Jesus. We know him through what the spirit points us to, particularly in those scriptures. Why else do various things press in on our consciences? So we know him, but also he knows us and he knows us more intimately than anyone else, like it or not. There are no hugs or cups of coffee that we can have with people that can reveal as much about us as God knows about us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me, says the psalmist in Psalm 139. You pray and in moments of utter privacy... It's just you and God. You don't even have to speak words for him to know what is in your heart and what is on your mind. You can try and hold things back from him. And yet when you try when you stop trying to hide and you expose yourself to him entirely, it's extraordinary. You simply say, Lord, you know me. There is a true closeness that comes with being adopted as God's child intimacy, honesty, truth. And when we open ourselves to him entirely, we feel safer than anywhere else because we know that he is absolutely trustworthy with our deepest secrets. Even though he knows everything about me, I am secure. He is my loyal and loving father. Verse 15 said that through the spirit of God, we call God Abba. It's the affectionate term in the Aramaic language. It's it's a term like dad. Now, sometimes we might feel that to use the term dad for God, it wouldn't balance the, you know, obviously intimacy here, but how do we balance that with the worship and honor that he deserves? And sometimes we don't feel comfortable calling him dad, but you can call him dad if you like. That's what Abba meant. But notice that addressing God affectionately and warmly as father is something that the spirit enables. That's what our verse said. It's not our idea. And it's not something that the non-Christian can do. It's not something they will want to do. Now, they might pretend. They might even pretend to themselves. But to call God, to call on God as father is something that the spirit does in you. And so if you have a strong conviction to call God father, that means he really is your father. It's actually a fairly simple test. You really do have God's spirit working in you. How will you respond? It's not a metaphor. It's real adoption. He really is your dad. So the first two joys, freedom and closeness. The third joy of adoption is privilege. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm sure you follow the logic. If you are adopted as a son or daughter of God, you are now in the will. That doesn't mean that, you know, God is going to die and then you get everything that is his. What it does mean is that the old world is. Is going to die. And then along with Christ, the eternal son, we get the new world that he is going to create. Here's what is promised to the son of God as far back as Psalm 2, written a thousand years before Christ, actually written to Christ. The psalmist says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession that's the promise jesus inherits everything the ends of the earth and in jesus words to his own followers in the beatitudes you may know the beatitudes blessed are the weak sorry blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth and the reason that the inheritance for the meek inheriting the earth is the same as that for the messiah the reason that they're the same is adoption so this is privilege right how much do you own you know what like what's your bank account look like your 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 share portfolio or your super it's not much actually compared with what you will inherit Maybe you're thinking, mm, it's not quite that though, is it? Because I'd have to share the world with all my brothers and sisters, right? It wouldn't actually be mine. Well, exactly. That's the point. True ownership of the earth has been distorted by the fact that I I want all these things to be mine, not yours. Why do I need bank accounts with my name and number and maybe secret pin? Why do I need certificates of ownership that I put in a safe? Because... We don't know how to share the abundance of God's gifts for everyone's flourishing. But did you notice in verse 17 that the privilege of being a co-heir with Christ extends not only to his glory, but also to his sufferings? It's actually all through the New Testament that followers of Jesus are those who follow him in hardship as well as following him to glory. He actually tells us Mark chapter eight, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it, says Jesus. The cross here. Um, Obviously, we know it from Jesus. But the cross was the Roman Empire's instrument of dishonorable execution. And Jesus is saying, you want to be a Christian? Well, bring along a hangman's noose because you might need it. You may need to lay your life down. And yet, this is privilege. Not only to be able to suffer in continuity with the Son of God but also to receive the glory that follows. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and he can no longer die. The same will happen to us. He was exalted. The same will happen to us. We don't know exactly where he is, but the Bible tells us that he's seated at God's right hand. And so are we, according to the Bible, already because we are connected to our divine brother by God's spirit. One more Bible quote, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice past tense. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Folks, these are the three joys of adoption. Freedom, closeness to God, and privilege beyond measure. So what about you? Are you adopted by God? Well, if so, rejoice. Stop grumbling about your life. Try to be patient. You have blessings now as a child of God that are way beyond those outside of the faith. Do you pray? Are you being really honest with God? Are you laying your heart before him and sharing your struggles with him? But then do you also open open the word of God to hear from him, let him speak to you? Are your ears unstopped, ready to hear what he has to say? Perhaps your relationship with your heavenly father has soured, you, you feel. You know, you feel distant, even ignored. You've asked him many times to take away your pain, to, to, I guess, to make life a little better. The ball's in his court, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe the ball is actually in our court. Maybe adoption includes a promise of suffering. Maybe it shouldn't take us by surprise. And so why would you shut down communication with him? Because suffering is not the whole picture. There is glory to come. And so we shouldn't waste our suffering. Maybe God will lead us through it and use it to do extraordinary things. Brothers and sisters, please don't go day after day without reading your Bible. You need the presence of your heavenly father's words in your life. And please don't go day after day without praying to him. It's not him who needs your prayers. But maybe you're not adopted by God. You're just you're listening in. You're interested. Can you apply to be adopted? Actually, the forms are already filled out. Uh, Jesus has already been to the cross. All that's needed, I guess, is your own consent, your belief in Christ, your trust in Him, and your turning away from sin. And so your adoption is, is not far off. Let me finish with some words from Russell D. Moore, the American preacher. When we were told the last day, you have to leave now and go home, I'd been reading in the Gospel of John and just happened that day to come to John 14. And as we walked down the hallway into this stinking, wretched orphanage and walked into the room for the last time to see these skeletal babies whose eyes were crossed from malnutrition and we were told that we must leave them, all I could do was say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14. Marie and I went back finally after this agonizing time of waiting and walked down that same horrible hallway to that same horrible room and picked up our two children to take them home with us. They did not realize where they were going. They were comfortable in the stench and squalor of a Russian orphanage. When they walked outside, the sun was perplexing to them. The wind in their face was horrifying to them. They did not know what this is like. Maybe you don't know what is in store. But God's desire is for your flourishing and for your presence with him for eternity. He's adopted you as his child because he wants you with him. Will you call out to God? as father today. Let me lead us in prayer. Eternal God and loving father. Oh, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you that in Christ and in your Holy Spirit, you have adopted us to be your children, to be close to you, to have the privilege to have the freedom from sin and from our enslavement to it, oh Lord God, please help us with what we need, help us to understand our adoption, help us to to live and enjoy our adoption. May it overflow with joy in our lives. and Lord, may we just be so keen on this, so responding so appropriately that we tell others. Our Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.